No, I am not Doyle Sager. Yes, I am pleased to be here. Yes, Doyle did contact me yesterday, two days after I had flown 30 hours back from Indonesia, and said I'm not feeling well. And lo and behold, also my wife Janet is not feeling well. I don't think I can be at church on Sunday. Is there any chance you can think of something to say in my absence? Yes, I can. (laughs) Doyle, I know, is doing a sermon series for you. And it's talking about uh, wisdom and lessons learned and going back to school. And he was going to be talking today about a careful tongue. Well, I've got some reactions and feelings about a careful tongue as well, but I'm not going to share those with you. Let's let Doyle continue the series next week with a careful tongue. But I thought to myself, yesterday, afternoon, after the opening convocation at Westminster College where I teach, what about this notion of wisdom? What about this notion of wisdom and foolishness? So I'm going to talk a little bit about wisdom and foolishness, and I'm going to base it on Paul's first letter to the Christian church in Corinth, Greece. And I'd like to read the passage to you on which my remarks are going to be based. First chapter, beginning at the 18th verse goes like this. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, And Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, 
to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And a final verse from the fourth chapter. We are fools for the sake of Christ. May God grant to our understanding and to our intended heeding this, the reading from 1 Corinthians. Amen. Probably the most brilliant thinker of the late Middle Ages was Thomas Aquinas. He lived and wrote in the 13th century, and even today, he is the premier theologian of the Roman Catholic Church. There wasn't yet any Protestant church. That would come in the 16th century. And if you're following history, this year marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. But Thomas was brilliant. He was also very gullible. He would believe almost anything that was said to him. He was a monk. He lived in Italy. And one day the other monks at the monastery came to Thomas and said, Thomas, Thomas, come to the window and see the flying cow. Believe it or not, Thomas ran to the window and he looked out. And having seen no flying cow, no elevated bovine, the other monks started laughing. Oh, Thomas, what a fool! How gullible you are! We really pulled one over on you. And they laughed and they laughed and they laughed. But Thomas made this reply. My brothers in Christ, I would think rather that a cow would fly than a monk would lie. There was no laughter in regard to my friend Bill. Bill had a very intense crush on a young woman named Laura. Bill was a very generous person, had a big heart, often had an open wallet. And so he lavished Laura with expensive gifts and eating in expensive restaurants, taking her to wonderful places. He misread her feelings for him. She helped him misread his feelings for her. So imagine his shock, his dismay, when one night he handed her an engagement ring and asked her to marry him. And her response was to throw the engagement ring back at him and shout out to him, Bill, you stupid, imbecilic jerk. You are a fool. I was only 
using you. The ambulance arrived shortly after Bill had taken the pills. They rushed him to the hospital. They pumped his stomach. He went to intensive care. He was in a regular hospital room when I arrived. He gained consciousness not long after I came onto the scene. And his first words to me were these. Why didn't they just let me die? I have been such a fool. Well, he had been a fool. He had been foolish. He had made an incorrect judgment. He indeed did not have good sense. He believed something about Laura that wasn't true, that she indeed did love him. She helped him believe wrongly that she loved him. But Bill didn't want to be a fool. Which of us wants to be a fool? And yet, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, Greece, proclaims that you and I are fools. You and I are fools for Christ's sake. You and I are fools for Christ's sake. And earlier in that letter, he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Greeks. A stumbling block to Jews? Foolishness to Greeks? A stumbling block to Jews. Jewish tradition was awaiting someone to come and kick out the Romans and inaugurate the kingdom of God. And things would be very different because this person would arrive. They anticipated God's expected one, God's anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ. And so the early Christian church proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, the one who had suffered on a cross after having been arrested and tried and convicted and beaten up. And the Jewish tradition said, how could he be the Christ? He came. He died. Roman Empire is still in power. Kingdom of God hasn't come to be. How could this victim be the Messiah, the Christ? We expect a victor, not a victim. We want somebody who beats up the Romans, not somebody who gets beaten up himself. We expect someone who is triumphant, not someone who was tried, convicted, and crucified. So the early Christian community proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, 
Jesus as the Christ. And today we drop out the article the, we just say Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. Just like professor is my title, my last name is not professor. I am Cliff the professor. Jesus was Jesus the Christ. So most Jews did not join the early Christian community. It was a stumbling block to say that the crucified one could be the expected one who would come and save us from the Romans. Foolishness to Gentiles? Foolishness to Greeks? What's going on there? In Greek thought, God could not be influenced. The God who is God was above all earthly kinds of comings and goings and triumphs and tragedies. If God could be influenced, then God was not great. And a God who might suffer in behalf of human beings was just simply unthinkable. It did not compute in the Greek mind computer program. So the early Christian community preached Jesus Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks or Gentiles. That culture, that society, that civilization basically said, you Christians, Quit being such fools for Christ's sake. Now before you and I think that that was an issue or a problem or a predicament in the emerging Christian community a long time ago, let's think about our Christian faith today in the society, in the culture, the civilization in which We live. Now, I'm partly trained as a scientist, so I'm not going to be criticizing science, really, when I say the following. However, our society and our culture are permeated by the scientific method as the only way to find truth. Is the scientific method a very effective way of discovering truth? Oh, yes, it is. And I'm thankful for the advances that science has been able to achieve and enjoy. But it's not the only way to truth. What about inspiration and imagination? What about intuition? Are these not ways that begin to move us toward truth as well? However, in a scientific laboratory... Sodium, positive charge one, and chloride, negative charge one, join together to form salt, and I can demonstrate that to you in a laboratory. I cannot demonstrate to you in a laboratory the truth of the statement, there is a God who exists. I can't do it. So sometimes the culture says, okay, if you believe in God, then you're foolish. You're stupid. You might even be an imbecile. 
2009, I went to a conference at Oxford, England, that was to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the birth of Charles Darwin, the 150th anniversary since the publication of Origin of Species. And at that conference, I bumped into the very famous, very brilliant, but very atheistic Richard Dawkins. Not knowing that there were any Christians in the audience, and certainly not thinking that I would be a Christian, why would I be at such a gathering anyway, Richard proceeded to say how stupid Christians were and how foolish they were to believe in God. Anyone who was a Christian had to be a person of low intelligence. And so I walked up to Richard and I said, Dr. Dawkins, I'm Professor Cliff Kane from the United States and I have empirical data that would illustrate that you're wrong. Dr. Dawkins is brilliant. He's also very arrogant. And so he said, what's that evidence? And I said, you just said that Christians were incredibly stupid and foolish. They had low IQs. And I said, Dr. Dawkins, I have a doctorate in theology and a doctorate in science. I have two, and you just have one. <laughs> but you get my point. You get my point. Christians are fools, you see, for believing in God and for following this Jesus of Nazareth who, after all, through crucifixion, appears to be a loser, not a winner, a victim, not a victor. Or a society says as well, look out for yourself. Look out for yourself alone. Hey, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else is going to take care of you, right? So, Allow your worship to orbit around yourself. Look after you. Make you number one in your life. So when someone like the Apostle Paul says, like in Philippians, count the interests and needs of others above your own, that's just foolishness. You need to be looking after you. And what room is there in our society for, especially at this moment in time, gentleness and kindness? Gentleness and kindness are in short supply because the predominant way to be appears to be violent and nasty. That's the way you should be. This Christian humility and Christian gentleness and kindness and, and meekness, why, 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 you're a fool to practice that. And what about Christian humility? What about that passage from Philippians 2? Have this mind which you find in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Humility? i got to get ahead i got to show my boss that I, what I'm made of. I, I, it's got to be all about me. You may know at Westminster College I have an excellent academic dean. She lives here in Jeff City. Her name is Carolyn Parry. Some of you may know 
Carolyn, just appointed acting president in the wake of the resignation of our current president this past Friday. So Carolyn has big responsibilities placed on her. But she's one of the most gracious, kindest, brilliant, persistent, hardworking persons I know, so she's going to be fine. A couple of universities ago, I also had a female dean. I remember going into the main administration building one day, and she was walking down the hallway with one of my male colleagues. And this male colleague was talking all about himself. Why, Dean so-and-so, I'm doing this. Dean so-and-so, I just got this article published. Dean so-and-so, I was just consulted about this. So caught up in self-promotion that when the dean peeled off to go to the women's restroom, my male colleague followed her in. (laughs) I don't know at what point he realized where he was. Maybe the absence of certain things that are specifically for male use. We laugh, and it is funny, but what room is there for humility and kindness, thinking of others, putting other people's needs even above your own? I tell you, you're fools. Quit being such fools for Christ's sake. And yet, the passage in 1 Corinthians says, God has made foolish the supposed wisdom of the world. God has made foolish the supposed wisdom of the world. So folks, we as Christians know through revelation, through scripture, through the faithful witness of people who have preceded us in the Christian tradition and who live now in the Christian tradition, we know there's something better. We know there's something higher. We know there's something truer and more genuine and more authentic than what the culture sometimes tells us regarding the way that we ought to be. I just returned from Indonesia two days ago where I lived for over three months. Indonesia is largely a Muslim country, 95, 96, 97%. On the island where I lived, Bali, it is 85% Hindu, 12, 13% Muslim, very small Christian community. But I was inspired and I was humbled by the witness and the lives of these Balinese Christians. They were absolutely incredible. And in the face of a lot of people saying to them, why, you're fools. You're stupid to follow Christ. Wouldn't it be more advantageous to be Muslim or Hindu and have advantages come to you in terms of economic employment, in terms of benefits in the society, in terms of getting into the best universities? And they refused. They kept alive their Christian tradition. And again, I found them to be so incredibly inspiring. It humbled me to think that against those kinds of pressures and against those kinds of odds, 
They live out Christ crucified. So who am I to kind of say, well, there are certain issues in my society, my community, my culture, my civilization about being regarded as a fool because I'm a Christian. No, they're really up against it. Far more than I am. But again, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. So, when we're told that being nasty to people is the way to be, we know a different way. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we're told that forgiveness is for the weak-willed and the stupid, we, we know the words of Jesus that said, you know, you've got to forgive 70 times 7, which is a symbolic way of saying you've got to forgive all the time. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors or as we forgive those who have sinned against us, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Or when we're taught by the culture, a failure is regrettable. Oh, but payback. Ooh, revenge. That's really sweet. We know the words of Jesus who said, forgive those persons who persecute you and pray for, even pray for your enemies. So, when we're told that getting angry or getting intoxicated is the best way to handle your problems, we know a better way that says we have prayer, we have the community to support us, we have Christian counselors, we know we can deal with these things without resorting to anger as a problem management technique or as intoxication of a way of making our problems go away. Because they don't go away, they simply come back to haunt us. When we men are taught that women are simply decorative playthings, we know that God made both men and women in God's image, and women are to be respected. And when women are taught that women are merely decorative playthings, women need to be reminded that they're not, that they, like men, are made in God's image. We have a better and a higher and a more authentic way that comes to us through our faith, through our tradition, and through our communities of churches. So are we fools for Christ's sake? No. We are fools for Christ's sake. Get the difference? Quit being fools for Christ's sake. We are fools for Christ's sake. We are fools for Christ's sake. And to him be honor and glory now 
and forevermore. Amen.